Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help, and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts, and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values, and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. This week, we are going to be talking about the value of belonging. And I'm really happy to be joined by two guests this week. Firstly, Daniel White, and secondly, Richard Hearn. And I'll get them both to introduce themselves. Daniel, do you want to kick us off? Firstly, welcome to the show. And uh, yeah, give our audience a, a bit of information and background on you. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, Russ. Appreciate it. Daniel White is my name. I'm in Wichita, Kansas. I'm a senior consultant of organization development and family business services at AGH, which is an accounting and advisory firm in the Midwest of of the U.S. and uh, one of the larger independent accounting and advisory firms here in the Midwest. And so I've been here about seven years uh, doing consulting with organizations of various sizes, primarily uh, middle market closely held businesses. And I help them with uh, family business issues in addition to strategic planning, leadership development, and governance issues. So it's really about making organizations healthy, both families and family businesses and closely held businesses. So uh, that's what I do now. Previously, I worked in international medical relief work. And so made that transition a little a little different what I do now mm. but I'm also recently become the assistant director at the Kansas Family Business Forum which is housed at Wichita State University and it's been around for 25 years uh, basically being a, a place for family businesses in Kansas to be able to belong to be a part of to learn best practices and to get to know one another so that's a little bit about me. And we're also joined by uh, Richard from the Institute for Family Business. Richard, do you want to do the same, give our audience uh, an introduction and overview of of your role? Thank you, Russ, and uh, thank you very much for the invitation today. Uh, Yes, I'm Richard Hearn. I'm the membership director for the Institute of Family Business. I've been with the organization now since June last year, so in relative terms, I'm probably a newbie. However, my experience extends to quite a lot of um, years behind me in terms of working within membership organizations. So I have focused on membership development, membership engagement, and, and developing the membership value proposition across a number of organizations, and also focused on sort of marketing strategy and business strategy within those organizations. And just to give you an, an, an understanding, the organizations sort of that I've worked with have included professional membership organizations such as SEMA, Chartered Institute for Management Accountants, the CIPD, the Chartered Institute for Professional um, Development, 
personnel and development, and also trade associations such as the British Retail Consortium. So I have a sort of a a strong background in in membership organisations, and and it's that that experience that uh, brought me to the Institute for Family Business. I don't have experience within the family business sector. I don't come from a family business. But what I think I can do in that organization is to look at the value, look at how we can be an organization that's worthy uh, of our members um, and how we can work on their behalf. And my understanding is the Institute for Family Business are also celebrating an anniversary this year. It's 20 years, isn't it, this year? Um, they are indeed, yes. Formed in 2001, so we've got our 20th anniversary uh, this year. And the, I think the first thing to pick up on that, and we'll get more into some of the specifics um, as we progress through through the show, but the first thing to pick up is both organisations are now 20 plus years old. And so you would expect to be able to take from that that they're doing something right, because if it was something that was you, you know not valuable to, to anyone at all, then it it wouldn't simply wouldn't last that long. Daniel, in your view, what what is it that the organisations such as this and and the IFB and the the Kansas Family Business Forum are two great examples of this. What is it in in your experience that is the reason why there's this longevity with them? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think if you look at the broader business world, you see organisations like YPO, Vistage, the Alternative Board, industry peer groups and things, you know, that Richard has all been a part of quite a bit. And I, I think you see a need there for a peer group, uh, a place for people who are like-minded in similar situations to be able to get together. And I think the family business uh, system really is similar where being able to get together with other people who are in a similar situation, dealing with similar issues, who have gone through similar things in the past, I think that provides just a a wealth of opportunity for people to feel like they're understood, to be able to learn from one another and to learn about this unique system that's the family business system that's a little bit different from that you won't get from YPO or Vistage or places like that that provide great value, but don't look at that third circle of the family and business. Mm -hmm. And Richard, you might be able to add to that given your um, experience in when we're talking about the the value of belonging, we're, we're looking at two examples of organisations that are specifically there to help family-owned businesses, and that is agnostic of sector. So whether they're a retail organisation, whether they're a farming organisation, whether they're a um, aerospace organisation, that there is a commonality within the the fact that they are family-owned businesses that requires a a dedicated space to to belong to uh, this sort of community to belong to how does that vary to to your experience in in your previous organizations i think it's very interesting because if you look at uh, membership organizations they're almost sort of self-generated because there is a need arises at a particular time and that need tends to be based around voice and coming together of, of similar ideas. So I always think of a membership organization as being the power of one. And what I mean by that is the organization has much more clout and voice and gravitas 
representing a group of similar organizations than each in individual organization itself has in terms of their ability to generate interest with the government, to negotiate with the government and other factors like that. So I think where there's a need, people tend to come together to share that experience. What I've always found, whether it be focused around accountancy practices, whether it be focused around a trade association like retail or uh, like sort of the, the pub the landlords and the hospitality sector. It's about having that that voice and getting together and sharing experience. And I think that that is one of the key drivers of that value that kind of ensures that that, that uh, membership organisations survive and thrive. I think in the case of the IFB and the same with Daniel in, in Kansas, you know, we are sector agnostic, as you've said, but what we represent is the familyness, if you like. So our members come, our family business members come from all different sectors. But what they get from us and what they want from us is that ability to talk to other family businesses. If they want to talk to their sector, they'll probably do it through their trade association. Mm-hmm. But what their trade association doesn't give them is that ability to connect with other family businesses and share those experiences, share those challenges. And that's really crucial, I think, in terms of the membership of our organization. And just picking up on that point around the the, the value of the community being that you can talk to them about common issues, almost in a common language. Have you got some practical examples that you have from from your membership, obviously sensitive sensitive of any information that's in there, but where family businesses have come together for exactly that and and have really been able to help each other progress through the challenges that they're facing? And and Richard, that's aimed at you first, but Daniel, again, if you've got some examples, perhaps you can give some after um, Richard's given his. What I find interesting with, with family businesses is regardless of the size and the sector that they operate in, the challenges that they face are so similar. They are challenges around succession planning, challenges around governance, challenges around family constitutions, etc. And what we obviously find is that when a member has been through that pain threshold, they are very happy to share their knowledge and experience with somebody who is now actually going through that, that challenge. So if you take succession planning, that's actually been something which has in recent, certainly in recent times due to the pandemic, has kind of been sped up. So I talked to a lot of family businesses where the succession plans were looking three years out from 2020. But what we now find is because of the pandemic, people are starting to reevaluate their plans and they're speeding up that succession um, process. So we've had quite a few members this year have come to us because they've got a challenge with how to go about their succession planning. And so we've been able to introduce them to other family members who have been through that process and they can share their experience, share their knowledge to the to the family member who's about to go through that pain, if you like. Uh, and it makes it so much easier. And that is a confidential discussion in a very safe place. And, and that's one of the kind of key benefits of being able to be part of a, a community like the IFB. And, and Daniel, same question. Yeah, I mean, like Richard, I think a lot of people seek out organizations like this when there's a certain pain point in their organization. Maybe it's succession. Maybe it's something else that's causing them to to say, hey, we don't know what we're doing here. We need some help. We need to figure out how to do this well. And so we do find people uh, pop in maybe when they're going through that succession process and they become a member for a few years and then they 
once that's completed, they feel good, they might leave and then come back later when another issue comes up. And other people feel like just being a part of that community is good for the whole life cycle and throughout. And so, for instance, we find a lot of organizations don't know what they don't know about family businesses. They, I guess they know we're a family business and there's some complexities there, but they maybe don't understand that other people have been through similar things, that there's best practices for some of those things. And so as people join uh, the Kansas Family Business Forum, they'll come in, they'll, they'll learn. So I'm thinking about one family specifically right now that came in because of one of those pain points of succession from the founder to the son. And we are able to help them through both best practices, teaching them that, but also being involved with peers understanding what other people have gone through. And then they've stayed involved. They got their third generation involved and now they've successfully transitioned their third generation. And just all along, it's been very helpful for them because they didn't, they thought they were all alone. They didn't know there were best practices. They, they were able to come become part of an organization and learn from others and, and just get a lot of value out of that. So that's just one I guess, topic that comes to mind, but I'd agree with Richard, succession is on a lot of people's mind uh, nowadays. I think one of the other elements and the value that comes from talking to to peers about this rather than necessarily going straight to their professional advisors is it can be quite intimidating. If you do feel alone, if you do feel as if you're the only family facing this particular challenge, to take that to say a legal professional or a a financial professional and say, this is the issue that we've got. Can you help sort it out? That can be quite an intimidating process because firstly, that advisor is then almost restricted by what's in their toolkit. So if it's a lawyer, then they will look at the legal side of of sorting something out. Whereas by speaking to other families that have been through that experience, they're able to say, well, we spoke to our lawyer about this we had a family business consultant come in and deal with this element of it we we needed this from our lawyers but this was the point at which we we started it almost helps to deal with a, a lot of the potential barriers for discussing those issues because of that safe environment that you've both mentioned is that a fair assessment i would agree with that actually and one thing i'd add to that is that being in a family business actually can be quite a lonely place to be And so having that opportunity to talk to your peers in a a language that they will understand is really important. And I think if you take Next Geners, for instance, they will often find that they've got challenges that they want to talk to other people about. But you'll probably find that most of their pals don't work for family businesses, so they just won't get it. So they want to be able to talk to other Next Geners, as an example, in family businesses to share that. If I give you a rather amusing example of that kind of loneliness. I was talking recently to a a relatively young MD of the family business. And she said to me that, you know, she was talking to some of her pals recently because she actually had a really bad week for all sorts of reasons, business-wise, she'd had a really stressful week. And she mentioned this to her pals who weren't in family businesses and said, you know, oh God, what a week I've had. And their response was to say, well, why don't you take a week off? You work for your mum, don't you? So that's fine, isn't it? (laughs) And they they just, you know, they just kind of don't get it. And so that's just an illustration that, you know, had she been speaking to similar peers in other family businesses, they'd get it entirely and they would kind of start to 
you know deconstruct what those issues were and be very be very helpful but i think it's difficult to appreciate that when you work for family business it can be a very lonely place yeah and i think picking up on that that one of the elements of that is in a non-family business if you've had a terrible week at work or you've had a terrible day at work or something's stressing you out if you don't work with your family it's perhaps easier to go to your family and say god my boss is being a right old pain or i can't deal with this colleague because they just don't do what they're I'm supposed to do but when that is your family and that's potentially the source of tension having somewhere to be able to talk about that and say that is this uh, am I alone in thinking that this is the, the the way things should be looked at or what's your view on how to to deal with this is uh, it's a, a very useful outlet because if you haven't got the ability to do that with family members perhaps because they're too close or they're within that whatever's causing you frustration it it can bottling it up doesn't help you know having that outlet is hugely valuable yeah yeah i would agree 100 percent. having that outside space and the listening ear somebody who's been through something and you know back to your earlier point about going to your lawyer or your accountant or those sort of things as we've touched on a little bit the the family business system is is really complex. There's a lot to it. There's a lot going on. And oftentimes it's really easy for lawyers or, or any professional to, like you said, use their toolkit and they have very black and white answers for things when there's a lot of gray in, in family businesses. There's a lot of complexity, a lot of things that need that outside space to work through things. You need to be able to know best practices, but also know how do I need to tweak this or adjust this or make it work for my family. And so, yeah, you can't just go with a black and white mindset and not have anyone to talk through it or understand what's worked for you. Well, that's great. How could I use that and adjust it for my situation? Yeah, completely agree. And so on a practical level, and maybe an example from you each here, because I know your organizations serve the same communities albeit different geographical locations but perhaps in different ways if somebody's listening to this and is thinking this sounds great I need to find a a group where I can have this ability to communicate with my peers around challenges that are I'm facing that I didn't think I could have anyone to talk to what what sort of events or I know we're a little bit restricted because of COVID at the moment there's not a huge amount of in, in-person stuff happening necessarily. But what sort of events and forums are being created within your organizations to help with this? Because there'll be some people who will want to come and get straight on with it and go, I really want to talk about this, 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 and this. There'll be others that want to sit back perhaps and learn much more and, and take a lot more on board before they feel comfortable in, in sharing their own stories. So what type of events do you sort of put on to cater for that? Uh, Richard, if you want to kick us off on that one. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, we've had an interesting year, really, because whilst it was before my time, we obviously had to put all our events and activities online from March 2020. Whereas up to that point, I believe we had very little online. Most of it was was face to face. So therefore, there was that huge learning curve for the organisation. But there was also a huge learning curve for members kind of accepting that that is the way that they're going to have to communicate with other members 
moving forward. And I think, you know, what we have been able to do is to successfully pull together a lot of our activity, a lot of our events, working with our partners, working with other members, to be able to deliver an online program that covers the same areas that we would have covered face-to-face. There is an added, well, there's an advantage and a slight disadvantage. The advantage of being online is, of course, geographically, there is no problem. Anybody can join a meeting at any time. So we've found that as a result of that, because all you have to do is literally just log on at five o'clock or four o'clock or wherever it might be, you haven't got to jump on a train or in your car or get to somewhere. We've actually found that the level of engagement with our members has increased quite dramatically. So in the whole of 2019 to 2020, and we our financial year is to June, so it's July to June, so we cross the calendar year. So last year, essentially, we engaged with about 47% of our members. So that means 47% of our members attended at least one event during the year. So far this year, seven months in, we've engaged with over 57% of our members. So that's a real positive because more members are able to take advantage of of the events we're running. I suppose the slight negative is that you miss the face-to-face contact because what's missing is the informal conversations. The informal conversations that go on, you know, as you're walking to the bar or if you're walking between two breakout sessions, you can have those those individual chats. And even across the across a board table, you know, you can have different chats, which you can't really do on Zoom because it's very much one to one. But I think, you know, overall, given that this is not a situation of our making and we're, we're all we're all having to deal with it. I think overall we have been quite successful. And, and I don't just mean, you know, we've done a great job. It's really been about the members have recognised that by, by attending. If they thought what we were doing was, was not really quite right, then they wouldn't attend. And we are getting really good feedback in terms of the way the online community is working. And I think it's really people are getting more used to it and getting more confident in that environment. So... That, that's obviously where we are now. We will probably, when the whole pandemic thing is over, if it ever is, but we'll certainly be freer, we will probably have more of a mix, more online events than we had before. And of course, we'll still have face-to-face events. And uh, Daniel, what's the view from uh, the other side of the pond? Here in Kansas, we're switched completely online as well for the moment hoping that we'll be able to, to switch that here in the next couple of months. Our events are essentially focused around three different areas. One is education of best practices, family business best practices in a wide variety of areas, which we some kind of have experts input into what we feel like are important, but also have member input into what they'd like to hear. And then we also have personal advisory groups, which are basically those peer groups and we have those divided into next gen and senior management level, essentially, and able to, again, talk with peers who are going through similar things as you and hear from them. And then we have a third, which is learning from other businesses, other family businesses who have gone through things. And generally, those are people from outside of the region who come in and share their story about uh, what they're doing. And so that, those are kind of the three areas that we're working on 
And uh, we found uh, good engagement over the past year. We actually, over the past year, decided to drop all dues because of COVID. We felt like this was something that we could do as, as an organization and something that we really wanted to engage family businesses to help them make it through COVID. And so that's been something that we've tried to do to, to give back to family businesses in our area. And I think, again, both touching on, on really important elements there of the situation we find ourselves in, if, if people were feeling isolated or alone or feeling they were the only people facing a particular challenge in a family business, the fact that we are effectively, I mean, in the UK at the moment, we are locked down. I know there'll be varying degrees of, of freedom around the world as, as our audience listens to this. But being in that environment reduces even further the the ability to have those off-the-cuff conversations. So having events put on and hosted that are specific for family businesses Again, I'm, I'm guessing that's why you've seen the uptick, Richard, in, in the participation is because the ability to do this in previously, you know, popping out and doing networking stuff or meeting up with other families to discuss this kind of stuff, the possibility for that just isn't there at the moment. No, absolutely. And I... <laughs> One comment to, to Daniel, actually, a very brave move, the fact that you have removed the, the dues, as you call them, or the fees from, from, the, from the membership. We are totally reliant on our members' fees, and I, we know it's very difficult for our members in some cases, but without those fees, we would not be able to exist. And so, you know, it's, it's very difficult when we're trying to ask our members for their dues, or their fees, when actually we know things are very difficult. But you know, I suppose we have so little resources. We are we are very dependent on that for our for our survival. And of course, one of the things we get involved with as well is the whole kind of advocacy agenda, and that has to be funded. So I know you're you're slightly different, Daniel, but we do a lot of work, you know, around representing the family businesses to to the, the government, ensuring that they understand the role of family business, their contribution to the economy, their contribution to society. And, you know, we, we are there to ensure that they are not unfairly treated in terms of taxation um, and they pay their fair share, but not being disadvantaged in any way because of that particular business model. Yeah, yeah, Richard, it, it was a hard decision for us and, and we were able to make it a little bit easier because we have a little smaller scope than you, like you said, we don't have to fund so much as far as the advocacy and so makes it a little bit easier for us on that end. So definitely, if you're a member of IFB, your dues are going to a good place. So uh, <laughs> We believe so. <laughs> yes, for sure. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree as well. And, and I think beyond, beyond that, in terms of obviously you're representing individual organizations in your roles today, but beyond that, there are many different types of family business organizations that can be valuable to people in our audience so I know myself I host a, a small group a small family business peer group for exactly the same reasons it's a safe place to come and talk about the challenges and, and issues that you might be facing and some of that are not necessarily linked directly to the family-ness but the presence of that family system makes it slightly more complex than dealing it on, on a, a non-family business but I think that 
what's been demonstrated is that there will be a value to all of those groups out there, whether that's on a national basis, as we have here in the UK with the Institute for Family Business. Yours is at state level, I guess, Daniel, in terms of the sort of geography there. There will be local organisations in some towns or regions across your own jurisdictions. We heard from Jeremy Manford, a guest on, on last week's podcast who's based down in Australia and he was talking about the value of the role of Family Business Australia which again is a similar type of of organization so I think if if you're listening to this thinking well I'm not in the UK therefore I can't join the the IFB and I'm not in uh, Kansas so I've either got to move to the UK or move to Kansas to to benefit (laughs) from this I guess the tip we're giving is it's the value of belonging we're talking about here. That's great Russ but one thing I would say in terms of the wider audience there is an organization called the Family Business Network, the F- FBN, mm-hmm. of, which, of which we are a member. Now, the FBN represents, I think, about 65 countries around the world. So there's similar organizations to our own. We would be considered to be the UK chapter, if you like. But obviously, we're, we're fairly independent, but we're members also of the, of the FBN. So there are a lot of organizations like ours and like Daniel's in Kansas around the world that that are there to bring together family businesses. One of the other things, and I'll ask Daniel before I I jump into this point, but who established, do you know who established the Kansas Family Business Forum? Yeah, it was one of my current colleagues. He, He basically approached, one of my current colleagues basically approached the local university. He was an insurance agent, actually, essentially, and was working with family businesses primarily and thought, wow, this could be really great to have an area, a place for family businesses to come together like we've been talking. And he felt like the local university was the right place to start that because it can be more neutral, central location, and was able to create uh, the system where there are sponsors and things, but it's a safe environment. There's non-solicitation clauses, those sort of things. And so people feel like they can come together in a neutral location. They're not going to be sold to, but they can get the best practices and the information that they need and be around other family businesses. And so that's kind of how it started. And the university took it on thinking, yeah, this is kind of a a good idea. Maybe it'll last five years. Uh, We'll see how it goes if it lasts that long. And here we are, you know, 25 plus years later. So yeah, uh, absolutely. There's obviously a need. So, yeah. And Richard, the the IFB and I think FBN were founded by family business um, members themselves. Yes, they were. We as an organization came out of a peer group, I suppose, in a way. There was a Uh, a group of family businesses, probably about 10, who thought it would be useful to to get together to to share experiences. But also, I think I'm right in saying at the time, it was around ensuring that the tax system was fair relating to inheritance tax. And before the business property relief came in, which is obviously a huge benefit to, I say benefit, it's a huge requirement if you like for family businesses so that they're not unfairly taxed as generation swaps to generation so i think it became a bit of a of a of a one focused organization or group of family businesses and then a couple of key people i think um, there's 
chap called Alex Scott and uh, Grant Gordon saw the opportunity to grow it into a bigger organization and pull in more family businesses and be more diverse in terms of um, how we worked with each other and it was really from there and and there were there were many others who were involved as well but they were kind of the, the, the almost the kind of the leaders if you like of, of setting up the IFB back in 2000 2001 and then steadily it's grown from there and we're now up to around 190 members and that's business individual business members and that represents probably about 1600 individuals because anybody within the organization any family member directors managers employees all have access to the facilities and the the the, the events etc from the IFB and you know we are on on a, on a growth path at the moment it, we we're looking to increase our membership so we become you know we have we have a bigger voice we have more relevance when we're talking to the government for instance about various issues around family businesses we have more clout the bigger the organizations that or the more organizations that we represent i don't want to over labor this point but i think it's a really important point and i think it's a point that is unique when it comes to family business organizations is a lot of the discussions and topics that people can talk about are some of the delicate issues that you wouldn't necessarily raise at a trade type event. So if you're in a a retail um, sector and you go to to a retail trade association and speak to them about how to get dad to let go in terms of succession planning or what's the best way to bring next generation through into to the business. These are delicate issues that require care and they require proper approach to them rather than, as you said, Daniel, people not knowing what they don't know. That can result in some fairly questionable guidance, shall we say, in, in some circumstances. And so the fact that family businesses have continued to use and support both of your organisations over such a long period of time, again, would suggest that that's being done very well within those organisations and that you can talk about the stuff that you wouldn't, you just wouldn't be able to talk about at a, a retail association. For example. I'm picking on the retail association just because it's the one that pop, pops into mind. I've got nothing against retail associations uh, at all, but the, the, it's more that it's about family-specific issues rather than the the wider world yeah and many of our members are also members of other industry organizations other things that meet those needs for them but they also find the need for our family specific focus richard you found that as well yeah i think i think so we we have you know our members will belong to their trade associations as well as the the institute but of course what what you were saying russ is those delicate issues, the trade associations, that's not what their role is. Their role is to look after the sector. What we do is give those members the opportunity, those family businesses to have those delicate conversations and to share them with other family businesses and get their advice and their, you know, access their knowledge and expertise. Actually, an interesting point, I was <laughs> I was talking to one of our members or a couple of our members recently on the hospitality sector, which is really having a torrid year. And I was saying, you know, as, a, as an organization, what should we be doing to help you through this, through this period? And it was quite interesting because the response was, well, in terms of hospitality, our trade association is doing a great job. They're representing us. They're looking after our interests, very, very focused. However, what we want you to do 
is when all this is over and the government comes knocking because they need to they need the cash to pay for all this your role then is vital to ensure that you're representing the interests of family businesses so that we're not unfairly treated treated the same as everybody else but not unfairly treated in terms of the tax take if you like so you know there is that recognition that that we are there to from that aspect obviously we we have many roles within the IFB but from our advocacy role our members see that as being really important to protect things like the BPR the business property um, relief which means that when you know family businesses move move through the generations they're not penalized by a tax on their business because of that yeah i think that's a very um, valid point and no pressure on your shoulders now then going forward in in terms of, of achieving <laughs> that but I, I know you are obviously very active here in the uk with with the sort of lobbying side of of things and helping to educate people who may not necessarily be aware of the quirks and nuances within a, a family-owned business and that again I think touching on the point we were, we were discussing earlier around the experiences of others is generally speaking there'll be exceptions to this but generally speaking families themselves are keen to share their experiences but to do so within that trusted environment as well that environment where they know this isn't just going to be talked about around the town this is we're in a a safe space we in the uk we have the chatham house rule i think it's globally aware but it's whatever happens in the room kind of stays in the room agreement and that encourages the sharing that can happen you've both mentioned about i think the non-solicitation side of things so if you're getting professionals to come in and speak about a particular thing they're not there to throw a sales pitch at you which uh, can be very off putting as well so does that ring true for your own experiences with with the families that you speak to Daniel do you want to take that one yeah for sure I I think families even sometimes can be a little wary of of joining and and speaking of COVID I think being virtual it is really hard to build that trust and have that safe space when you're just virtually seeing people We've found success in in the virtual meetings with people who have already been a part of the community, who already know each other, and they're able to continue that uh, discussion that they've had. But for really those who are trying to join, it, it can be hard in this virtual sense to build that trust with other people. But I think there's that need and people often do come in a little wary of hey, what is this organization about? Is this truly going to be a non-solicitation environment? Can I truly open up about all of the, the issues that I'm dealing with with my family? And so it does take a little bit of time to for people to, to build that trust and to be able to open up. But having already created that ecosystem of people who are willing to share that really speeds things along. And, and Richard, do you have any thoughts on that side of things? Yeah, I think I absolutely, Daniel, you agree with, with, with Daniel. I mean, trust is so important. And that is one of the fundamentals of pe- why people come into the IFB is because they feel that they can trust the, the organisation, but also trust the conversations they have with other membership, with, with other family, family businesses. And it, it always amazes me how, actually opposite to you, Daniel, I, I feel that 
there's an element of uh, trust as soon as a member comes in they feel that sense that it's okay to talk because i'm always amazed people i've hardly met or haven't met talking to them on the phone or on zoom the things that they will take me through the issues and the challenges that they have and i'm a total stranger i know i'm within the within the ifb but you know they do trust me and they trust you know other members and they will share the most confidential information and i think that's the great attribute to family businesses that they that they command and have that level of trust and it's upon it's incumbent upon us to ensure that that trust is respected and protected within the organization so the non-solicitation is very important i think in a, in a family business context yes you can talk to advisors yes we have advisors who are preferred preferred partners and we will sometimes direct a member to a preferred partner if they want to have a conversation but that conversation doesn't it it's not you know it doesn't lead to necessarily signing a large contract because that's entirely up to the to the member they believe that this particular preferred partner has an expertise and experience that is valuable to them then you know any negotiation on fees or whatever is entirely between the family business and the and the partner we will just connect people we think will be useful for our members in terms of the context of whatever the challenge that they happen to have at the time yeah i i think again that's a, a valid point a, a, perhaps a good an analogy is that it's an it's a nice home for those types of conversations where you you can feel that they will be taken in in the right sense that it's delicate information and the trust exists that it will be treated with the care that is is due to it and and that's a nice environment to have been created for families to be able to share that and as we say we're talking specifically to to two representatives from two organizations but there will be others around if if kansas and the uk are not your marketplace then there'll be others around on the uh, off chance there are people who are listening in kansas and in the uk how would they find out about each of your organizations daniel do you want to share some information on how, how people can get in touch yeah sure uh, if you just search for kansas family business forum uh, there's a website with a lot of information me specifically on twitter at dw underscore white and uh, at aghlc.com is where i'm at so i'm straddling both of those being the professional but also representative of the the uh, the forum so fantastic that's where you can find me great stuff and we'll put that in the show notes and richard same for you in the uh, ifb yeah i think in the well-trodden tradition of websites now you know you can go to the ifb.org.uk and we have a lot of information about membership there and then an opportunity to connect directly with me through that particular site to find out more about membership or if people want to email me directly on richard.hearn at ifb.org uk then then i'd be delighted to um contact people and and to um provide them a little bit more information about what we do and, and who we are and what value we can deliver to our members yeah thank you and uh, just a, a closing thought from me and then uh, if you've got a, a closing thought as well I'll, I'll open it up to the the floor on that but for me the number of family businesses that i speak to who find a huge amount of value in being able to discuss stuff that they thought they couldn't discuss anywhere else they thought as as we've touched on that they felt alone and they're the only family facing this particular challenge whilst the personalities might be unique the challenges are common and have been faced over many many years by many different families so if you are feeling like that 
particularly given what's going on in the world at the moment, my suggestion would be to reach out to uh, an organisation that can help you in, in that sense. So th- thank you both for what you do and the organisations you represent. And Richard, have you got a, a closing thought you want to leave our audience with today? I think, you know, we live in hugely uncertain times at the moment and the opportunity to share that, that uncertainty and, and get some kind of warm feel or get, to get some sort of support, if you like, is what we're able to provide within our community. As family businesses, the IFB is in effect a family of its own, in its own right, of businesses that, that are family businesses. So, you know, we, we, we hope to be able to help other family businesses who are not part of our membership at the moment. Fantastic. And Daniel, same to you. Yeah, I'd say if you're a family business, figure out where you can find that uh, community, that place to connect with other people, to learn from other people and understand what value organizations can provide. Like if you really care about advocacy, all of those things, figure out there's plenty of organizations out there that can offer something But uh, I think looking and being a part of a family business specific organization, I think is really important. Like I said, other organizations provide a lot of benefit, but I think finding that place to connect with other family businesses is going to provide huge dividends in the long term. So that's my charge to you. Go out and find what that looks like for you where you're at. Thank you both very much for your time and your input. And uh, I look forward to uh, speaking to you both soon. Thank you, Russ. Yeah, thanks, Russ. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I really do appreciate it. If you found the show helpful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter. If what I've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business, I can help. I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes, so please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.